If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome to the Considering Catholicism podcast. Now, since this is the very first episode, let me introduce it with the basic journalistic questions. What? Why? When? Who? First, what is this podcast even about? Well, as the name suggests, its purpose is to consider Catholicism, to consider its faith, its doctrines, its practices, its culture, its worldview, all as anchored and embodied in the Roman Catholic Church. And this consideration is presented for those who are in several categories. Now, some of you might be considering Catholicism for the very first time because, well, because you're curious about it. Maybe, just maybe in the back of your mind, you wonder if you could or should consider becoming Catholic. Now, some of you might be Catholic, but you still have questions about Catholicism. Maybe, truthfully, you have some frustrations or some anger or some doubts. Maybe you have some gaps in your understanding of your faith and the church. And, and for those and other reasons, you've sort of been a lukewarm Catholic. Maybe you even walked away from the church. You haven't been to mass in a long time. And you're considering whether you ought to just let it go or maybe return. And some of you might be faithful and enthusiastic about your Catholic faith, but you have loved ones and friends who are not. You want to understand them, how to explain your faith to them, how to engage in conversations about the faith with them. How do you respond to their doubts, their concerns, their criticisms? Maybe you volunteer or work in your parish and you want to see your parish do more evangelization and you're looking for insights and tips and talking points. Well, this podcast and the blog and the videos that will go with it is all for you. We're going to explore what Catholicism is, why it's worthy of consideration, why people do and should say yes to it. We'll explore topics, have conversations with guests, investigate the church, its beliefs, its prayers, its worship, its life, its culture, all of it. And I hope you'll come along and listen and learn and maybe even participate in the conversation. Second, why? Why do this? Because I am convinced that Catholicism is worthy of consideration for anyone, anywhere, at any time. But especially here and now. The civilization of the secularized Western world is like a... Well, it's like a tent flapping wildly in a storm and the pegs that are anchoring the tent to the ground are popping out one by one. You've probably heard the old line about how we know what we know, we know what we don't know, but we don't know what we don't know. It's a great line. But it seems like that little scheme has been turned upside down for us today. 
And increasingly, we're coming to realize that we don't even know the things that we thought we did know. Values and truths that seemed rock solid have all turned liquid. And no one can agree on anything anymore. We're told that to believe that two plus two equals four or that humans are created male or female is oppressive or phobic or racist or something. Meanwhile, we're told that we must accept fantastically weird claims and worship at the altars of the strange new gods of the 21st century. Now, while there are faithful and inspiring Protestants and evangelicals, individuals who follow and proclaim biblical truths, many of them are my friends and colleagues and are listening to this right now. As a whole, the contemporary Christian world has just become divided, uncertain, and really can no longer offer a coherent and consistent message to the liquid modernity of the 21st century. As I'll share in my Then Consider This segment a bit later in the episode, Catholicism is worthy of consideration by anyone who is really looking for truth, for goodness and beauty today or at any time. When will this podcast be available? Well, the plan is for new episodes to come out weekly. Catholicism is a big space, a really big space, wide and deep and long and rich. And there's a lot to explore and explain and unpack. And we're going to be doing that over the next year. Finally, who? Who am I? Well, my name is Greg Smith. For decades, I was not only an evangelical Protestant, I was an ordained minister and a missionary. I worked in Christian publishing and as a ministry consultant with churches of, well, every size and denomination across the USA and overseas. But over those decades, I became increasingly curious about Catholicism, about the historic Catholic Church. And I spent 20 plus years reading about it and investigating it in every way that I could. Now, this kind of a conversion journey towards Roman Catholicism is often called someone's road to Rome. And when one decides to enter the church, it's often called crossing the Tiber, which is a reference to the Tiber River that borders the city of Rome. So I had a long, slow road to Rome, and I eventually crossed the Tiber. Since then, I've become the dean of the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization and founded a nonprofit ministry called One Whirling Adventure, whose mission is to excite and educate people about the historic Catholic faith and to equip them to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. The Considering Catholicism podcast is One Whirling Adventure's first ministry project. Over time, I'm sure I'll end up sharing some more about the hows and whys of my own road to Rome. But that's a basic introduction to this podcast. You can see additional content on the Considering Catholicism YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe to it when you're there. The Considering Catholicism Facebook page, make sure you follow it. The Considering Catholicism blog, check back regularly. And subscribe to the Considering Catholicism newsletter. And there are links to all of those things in the show notes wherever you downloaded this podcast. So here's what's ahead in this very first episode. In a regular segment, I'll call Then Consider This, 
I'll share why Catholicism is just as relevant today as it ever was and how it can still make a difference in the 21st century. We'll have a conversation with a Catholic priest, Father Michael Burt, who converted to Catholicism while he was in the military. He'll share his story and how and why he joined the church and became a priest. And we'll learn the most fundamental of all Catholic prayers. So, lots of great stuff ahead, and we'll get into it all right after this message from one of our sponsors. We'll get back to the episode in a few moments, but first I want to share with you an ancient principle of Catholicism. While we are saved by faith, true faith seeks understanding. Christ imparts to us a holy curiosity. We want to learn and grow and come to know more and more of God's word, his will, and his works. The Catholic life should be an ongoing journey of discovery. So, if you're enjoying the Considering Catholicism podcast, then join me and other instructors for the next step in this journey by joining the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization. Five years ago, we launched the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, or LANE as we call it, to foster a culture of faith-filled, lifelong Catholic learning in hearts, homes, and parishes. As the Dean of Lane, I invite you to join me and its other teachers for a wide range of learning experiences for adults, as well as for children and families. Lane offers structured courses in Catholic topics, both online and in person, as well as seminars, audio and video documentaries, and field trips, both real and virtual. There are already dozens of courses in our library, with new programs being offered all the time. To check out the catalog and schedule, and to learn more about how it works, visit lanecatholic.org. That's L-A-N-E catholic.org, where faith seeks understanding. In every episode of this podcast, I'm going to ask you to consider some aspect of the Catholic faith, maybe even challenge you to reflect on what you think you know about it. I'll call this segment, Then Consider This. Are you considering Catholicism? Then consider this. Is Catholicism even relevant today? Because a lot of people, And at this point, who knows, maybe even most people in Europe and America view Catholicism as some sort of relic from an earlier, more primitive, less enlightened era. Our cultural elites and influencers portray the Roman Catholic Church as dumb and backwards, ridiculous, insensitive, and basically useless to the needs and concerns of the 21st century. Is that true? Has Catholicism become irrelevant? Well, it depends on what you mean by the word relevant. 
The dictionary defines relevant as, quote, having direct bearing on the matter at hand. It tells us that pertinent is a synonym for relevant. So, is Catholic Christianity still pertinent to the issues and challenges and questions that are at hand in the 21st century? Does Catholicism offer us any practical advice today about how to live or organize our lives or how to make them more meaningful and satisfying? Well, yes, it does. Absolutely, it does. In fact, nothing could be more relevant. Catholicism speaks deeply to the most existential questions that we face. What is a human being? Why are we here? What is the purpose of human life and what are its boundaries and values? And it's not just pie-in-the-sky theology. Catholicism offers ground-level, granular, practical advice about what to do with your time, what to do with your money, your body. It counsels us on how to manage our relationships and our families and our work days. It gives meaning and direction and ethics to our work. It speaks to how we should live and how we should participate in our communities, how we should understand and enjoy and respect the earth that God gives us. Catholicism offers guidance into medicine and law and government. Catholicism offers time-tested wisdom about how to go to sleep and wake up, about our time and our money, about how to practice kindness and justice. It advises us about sex and birth and death and sustainability, about war and peace. It advises us about how to raise our kids well and treat our employees fairly and what to do when our grandmother is sick and dying. And it offers us all of this through the world's biggest and oldest archive of literature and communication and education and art in every language for people of every age and education level. And all of this advice is illustrated by the saints, who are real-life examples, men, women, and children from every conceivable walk of life, every race and language and nation across the globe over thousands of years who lived out their faith and are models for us. The Catholic Church offers practical help through ministries and institutions, through programs and organizations in almost every community in the world. And it provides all of this through a global army of dedicated servants, priests, religious brothers and sisters, teachers, artists, engineers, technologists, and on and on and on. And not only is Catholicism full of all this practical help, it's rooted in bigger principles that are understandable and able to be generalized and applied in every profession and academic field. And all of it is anchored in in deep narratives about the origin and nature of the universe that some of the brightest minds who ever lived found credible and rational. Catholicism offers a reasonable answer to all of the questions that have been asked in every religion and worldview and system of thought. So, you tell me, how is Catholicism not relevant? How is it not pertinent to the matters at hand today? How does it not respond to the challenges of modern life? 
You see, the real issue is not that Catholicism doesn't offer relevant answers, but that we don't like the answers that it offers. Now, it's true that those answers are out of alignment with our culture. I mean, absolutely. They contradict our leaders and our institutions and our social influencers. So if the real question is, does Catholicism no longer align with what our leaders or influencers or the crowd is telling us? Well, then the answer is yes. But what does that have to do with whether Catholicism and the answers it offers are true or not? What if our leaders are wrong? What if our social influencers are giving us bad advice? Sometimes in history, cultures go crazy. Sometimes nations run in the wrong direction. Sometimes they run off a cliff. But we don't have to be herd animals. We can question authority. We can think for ourselves. And we can listen to other voices. Consider this. In a world gone mad, maybe Catholicism is the voice of sanity. Catholicism seems irrelevant to anyone who's content with the world as it is today. But it's the most relevant way of life available to anyone who wants to radically change the world from the inside out. So consider this. Are you content A regular feature of this podcast is going to be guest interviews, or in most cases, more like conversations with guests. We're going to meet people from a wide range of backgrounds and roles with all sorts of interesting stories and insights. Some of them have official positions and roles in the church. Some of them are on the edges of the church. Some are outside the church. Some of the folks we're going to talk to grew up in the Catholic church. Some are converts to it. Some of them left the church and came back. And we're going to have conversations with some who are not Roman Catholic at all, but are curious about it and are investigating it and maybe, just maybe, might be on their own road to Rome. But the one constant is that every guest on this program is going to be asked at least three questions. Number one, how did you become Catholic or how are you investigating the Catholic faith? Number two, why are you Catholic, or why not, or why are you considering it? And number three, in your opinion, what can or should Catholics do to bring more people into the church? So our first guest on this very first episode is a parish priest, Father Michael Burt, pastor of Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church in Holland, Michigan, in the Diocese of Grand Rapids. As a matter of fact, he's my pastor. So I'm here with Father Michael Burt, pastor of Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church. Welcome, Father. 
Thank you for welcoming me. I am so excited to have you as a guest. In fact, you're the inaugural guest on this podcast uh, because you are my pastor. And uh, I'm excited to be able to interview you. And you're also my boss. So it's also great to interview. Welcome to the Considering Catholicism podcast. Well, thank you for giving me this invitation and, and an opportunity to share my faith journey, but also my experience of what it's been like to be in Holland for roughly six months. Great. Fantastic. So, Father, why don't you just introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, tell us who you are and a little bit of your life story. Well, I am a priest. I'm in my 13th year of priesthood. And I came from a family, we were five. So I had an older sister and a younger brother. And basically, we grew up in the Grand Rapids area until about fourth grade. And then we moved to Rockford. So I grew up in Rockford when it was a small town. Oh, wow, that was back in the day. And Rockford, while I was away for many years, exploded, and there were many changes. Um, and when I was growing up, you know, we did go to church. That was one of the things that we did on Sunday. And I basically grew up in the Protestant denomination. When we were in Grand Rapids, we went to a Methodist church. When we moved to Rockford we went to the Congregational Church. And so once again, it was something that we did regularly. There were times that I did go to Sunday school. Um, when I was in high school, the Methodist Church in Rockford and the Congregational Church had a joint youth group, and we would meet at the Congregational Church. You know, so faith has always been part of my, my life and my upbringing. Just on that point, at what point would you say, and I know that for those who grew up as Christians, there may not be a, a particular moment in your life, but is there an awareness of God or an awareness of faith that grows at you at a certain age? I really can't pinpoint any particular time. You know, in talking with other people about my faith journey, they describe me as a searcher. So I, I think my entire life I've been searching for God. If there would have been a moment, it would have been probably some of the stuff that we did in youth group. And uh, we were at one point, I was, even though I was going to the congregational church, they had a program where we were just kind of exploring the Christian faith. And so... I can't tell you the day and the time, but there was a point in the faith journey that, according to my, that tradition, is, is that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so my understanding at that point was, is that a salvation was kind of like an event. Although I don't know the day it was, I believe, and I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and so that's the way that I'm going to live my life. You know, what I have come to learn over the years is that for me, salvation is not an event. Right. It doesn't happen on a certain day at a certain time. Uh, one of the ways that I talked about it in the seminary was that I was saved I am being saved, and I continue to be saved. So it's an ongoing process. 
Great model. I just uh, let me ask this question because it might be helpful for other people out there in terms of their own faith journey or of their children. As you say, there wasn't necessarily a definitive moment, but did you grow up with this awareness of God? In other words, was it something that you took for granted or you took as a, maybe not for granted, but as a foundational belief? Did you have a foundation of belief that then was built upon through youth ministry? No, I know that I basically, I grew up in a Christian household. Mm -hmm. Um, My parents, there was an adult group that would get together with the the minister and they would read a book and kind of had like an evening discussion group about it. So again, being involved in a church or being part of a faith community has always been part of my entire life. Sure. So there's that foundation, that that basis of understanding about Christian truth and Christian belief that then gets built on in a specific way in the youth ministry or whatever. Well, and it it was something that has evolved over time, and I've come to know that that this is an important part mm. or piece in my life. Right. One of the things that I value and is important. And so I've always tried to, you know, stay open to God's presence and action in my life. But there were a lot of times I wasn't actually consciously aware of that presence. Mm-hmm. Where, again, as, as I've grown in my journey, one of the things that I did in, you know, about 10, 15 years ago was I began having spiritual direction with someone, which is basically you're having a conversation with another person and you stop and you look at how is my relationship with God? Where do I see God at work in my life? And not always being able to see God in the moment, but in spiritual direction, you can kind of look back and say, well, this is where God was, right. or this is what God was doing at that time. So in that gap from being a 15-year-old teenager to 15 years ago, spiritual direction, a lot must have happened in that gap in your biography. Yes. I, and, and again, my parents were from northern Michigan, and so we spent a lot of time up there and that's where I first kind of encountered the Catholic Church. Okay. Um, my grandparents had a cottage in an old Odawa Indian village, and there was a Catholic church near the cottage, and it was open from sunrise to sunset. So we could go in and kind of look at the church, and if there were times when I would be spending a week with my grandparents. And if we were at the cottage, we would go to mass. I learned after my grandmother had passed that she had never affiliated with a particular denomination. So when we went to mass, we were in the back pew and I can hear grandma saying, we're Protestants, we just sit. (laughs) You know, so in a certain sense, I think at that point in my journey was you just kind of observed what was going on. That was kind of the way that I encountered it. In town, there was 
a Catholic church, and I used to walk past it to go to the public beach. Um, my first encounter with a Catholic sister, I was crossing the parish property, and this was at a time when the religious sisters wore habits. And I'm walking across the property, and she's in a lounge chair in full habit, and I walk by and I look and go, it's your face, your hands, and your feet. Why bother? <laughs> you know, I was one of those that, you know, would tan easily. So I the like to lines, go and, yeah. and, and that. You know, so a lot of times when it comes to the Catholic Church is I encountered it or I bumped into it. Mm. And, you know, I experienced it kind of in the world at large in movies like The Sound of Music or right. The Bells of St. Mary's. Being born and raised and growing up in Michigan, I refer to it as encountering lighthouses. Oh. And so, you know, the movie The Sound of Music, which, you know, Maria is having her own spiritual crisis. What do you do with a problem like Maria? Well, correct. And, and so it was something that presented itself, and I'm sure it impacted me somehow, but ultimately, I was probably 21, and it was after I had joined the Navy. Okay, so you did you join the Navy right out of high school? I went to college for about a year and a half. Um, I had been dating someone, and basically when I graduated from high school, my family moved to North Carolina, and she stayed in Michigan. So we had a long-distance relationship, and we took turns, one coming down to North Carolina, the other one, come, I'd come back to Michigan. And I remember my, the first hospital ward that I worked on was an orthopedic neurosurgery ward, and I shared with one of uh, the corpsmen that I worked with, interestingly enough, was an Italian Catholic named Frank Uanelli. And I, I was telling him, I'm not getting anything out of the church services. And he said, well, why don't you come to Mass with me? So these were, while you were in the Navy, like uh, base uh, chaplain services on the base, Protestant services? Uh, correct. You know, the hospital is no longer open because of changes in the world. But that was when I was stationed at Great Lakes at a naval hospital. And so I did go to Mass with him. And I was married at the time, talked with the Catholic chaplain. There were two of them there at the time. And so my former wife and I took instructions in the faith. So did you get married uh, right after you enlisted or before? Or? Um, it was after I'd enlisted. I reported in on the to boot camp on my parents' 25th wedding anniversary. So I was never forgetting when they got married. And it was after boot camp and hospital core school, and I got stationed at the hospital there, that I encountered Frank. And so we had a chapel, and it was interesting. It was kind of an interfaith chapel where there was both Catholic mass there, but there was also Protestant services on Sunday. Um, and so that's where uh, the priest was that we took instruction. You know, Chris and I 
basically we had a book that we would read. We would go in and discuss with Father O'Connor. May he rest in peace. And, you know, I reached a point that I said, well, I think this is where God is calling me for my spiritual journey. So we were, as we were adults, and this is before they had the RCIA program. So one Saturday, we received the sacraments. We couldn't find the baptismal record for Chris, so he baptized us both conditionally. Um, We had our first reconciliation. We called it confession back then, and then celebrated Mass, and we received, you know, first Eucharist and confirmation. So it was like a one day, okay, you're here. (laughs) You know, and part of it was is... We wanted to raise, if we had children, in a household that had one faith. Right. And that. And so I know that for me, when I explore something, I jump in with both feet. Right. Now, this is what you, were, you said you were still stationed at Great Lakes. I was still stationed at Great Lakes. Which for those listeners who don't know where that is, obviously it's in the Great Lakes. Where is that? It's actually in the town of Great Lakes, Illinois. Okay. Um, which is one of the larger naval bases. Okay. You know, so there was what they had was hospital side, there was boot camp side, and then main side had a lot of the Navy service schools. Okay. Where people went. And you went to Corman School, correct? Correct, which was right there on the hospital side of the base. So I'm sure we have some listeners that aren't familiar with Navy lingo because the Navy has a different word for everything. What is a Corman? A corpsman is someone that takes care of patients. So I mentioned that the, the first hospital ward I worked on was an orthopedic neurosurgery ward. Um, and so we're trained. Uh, we would be kind of the equivalent of what they used to have was like a licensed practical nurse. Okay. You know, so we would pass medications. We would give patients bed baths, we would take their vital signs, just doing basic nursing care for people. After I had worked on that ward for probably about a year, year and a half, I went to work in the intensive care unit. And, you know, all this time I continued to be going to Mass on Mm -hmm. Sunday and continued to seek and to come to know more and more and wanting to learn more and more. Right. You know, so it was kind of having a thirst, like a spiritual thirst. Right. And so I'm one of those. I One of my weaknesses is I've never met a book that I didn't like. <laughs> so I was kind of trying to grow and to learn because when I took the instruction with the priest, a lot of it was familiar. I mean, the difference was is the sacraments of the Catholic Church. And we, we talked about saints and the Blessed Virgin Mary. That was one of the differences between what I knew growing up like in a Protestant right. church. So you're a corpsman in the Navy, and then somehow you went from there because obviously you're a priest today. So how did you get from there to where you are today? Um, it actually spanned 22 years. You know, over the course of my 22 years in the Navy, I was stationed at, most of the time it was naval hospitals or medical clinics. I did have two 
periods of sea duty. Uh, my first ship was a minesweeper out of Newport, Rhode Island. And my last ship before I retired was out of Norfolk, Virginia, which is a large naval base. And again, I was, it was a ministry of health care. And I, of all the things that I did as a corpsman, I liked taking care of the people and getting to know the patient. And so my experience was that after I retired, I had to figure out what I was going to do when I grew up. And it was a time in my life when I had been away from the church for a while. I refer to myself as a wandering Jew because I came into the church and then kind of wandered off and explored something. And then I'd come back to the church and wander off again. But what I discovered after I retired, and again, it was part of that time and spiritual direction with another person and, and talking with a Paulist priest that I noticed that I always came back to the Catholic Church. Hmm. And at the time, I didn't know, you know, and, it, and, and at that point in my life, I wasn't familiar with things like Eucharistic adoration. I did know how to pray the rosary. I didn't have like a regular devotion of praying that. You know, the other struggle that I experienced was I could understand the signs and the symbols, but I didn't understand what was behind them. Mm. And that Paulus priest had a very good way of explaining things where little lights go on. Right. And again, like I said earlier, when I jump into something, I jump in with both feet. And so I said, okay, it makes sense now. What do I need to do to come back to the Catholic Church? This was a very wise man. <laughs> he loved his cookies. And uh, Father Joe um, said, well, have you met with a spiritual director yet? And I says, no, I've got an appointment. And he kind of slowed me down. He says, well, why don't you meet with them a little bit? And I began with a man who was the spiritual director. And after a couple of meetings, he said, I think you would do better meeting with a woman. Um, and so they put me in touch with Marywood Dominican Center in Grand Rapids, and they have a program where they train spiritual directors. Um, and that's when I met Barbara Gordon. And a very patient and gentle person, and, and it was a very beneficial time where when I fast-forwarding a little bit, made the decision that I might be getting called to priesthood, and we had, and I was getting ready to go to the seminary, we kind of closed out that relationship. And she recalled our first meeting, and the, what she said to me is, Michael, when I met you, you're so much in your head. How am I going to get you to your heart? You know, and so it, again, for me, I ha it's really important to me in living my faith that my head and my heart stay connected. Mm -hmm. And so, I you know, I, the way that I experienced God present and at work with me was in order to become a seminarian, you know, Chris and I were married for six years and decided we were going in different directions. We're still very good friends. We get in contact with each other every once in a while. But the church, we had to have the church take a look at the marriage and see why 
was there some impediment from it reaching the sacramental status? In my case, it was a formal case. So I had to fill out the questionnaire. Chris had to fill out the questionnaire. And then we had to give witnesses. Mm-hmm. And what was unique in our case was the only time our family and friends saw us was when we came home on leave. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, we were off somewhere wherever I was stationed at the time. But again, just kind of the person that I am when I, w- I got together with Chris and, and a priest, and I says, I'm thinking about becoming a priest And so you're going to get a letter from what's called the marriage tribunal. And I said, I would rather that you know that it's coming rather than have this envelope show up in your mail. Now, for those listeners who maybe are not familiar with this process and what's involved with it, could you just say a little bit about why you would go through the tribunal in this instance? The church sought my testimony and Chris's testimony and then the witness statements to see what prevented the marriage from continuing or reaching that sacramental state. And it was difficult. There were times that I kind of had to say, okay, Holy Spirit, give me a kick. But in that whole process, it was enlightening and it was... I came to learn an awful lot about myself. And I myself discovered, I said, I don't think I got married for the right reasons. You know, part of it was as all of my high school friends were getting married, so it was the thing to do. But again, it was was an enlightening thing, and it took about a year Mm -hmm. um, for that process to be completed. So once they did find grounds for nullifying the marriage, then I was free to apply with the Diocese of Grand Rapids to become a seminarian. So that was, just for those people who might not be familiar, that was a prerequisite then for entering the priesthood? Correct, because technically I was in the sacrament of marriage and I had to be released from that because you can't... Enter the sacrament of holy orders. At the same time. I wasn't freedom. In fact, when I meet with people that are um, wanting the church to take a look at their marriage, we have a page where all the different questions, they have to deal with your freedom to marry. Mm. And the very first one, and I have a kind of wry sense of humor. I, when I'm meeting with a young man and a young woman, I like to have fun. <laughs> and, and, and depending on the couple, you know, and their understanding of the Catholic faith and the knowledge of the different sacraments, I will, the first question is, is you ask the groom to be, have you ever had holy orders? <laughs> And depending on how good they were taught the faith or catechized, you know, I kind of get the deer in the headlights look. And and so I'll say, were you ever dressed like me? Because I'm usually <laughs> in my clerical shirt with a, a Roman collar. So real quick, now this is the Considering Catholicism podcast, and some people who are listening are 
not Catholic, but considering uh, becoming Catholic. So just by way of explanation, the Catholic Church has seven sacraments, unlike the Protestant churches, which have two. And one of those is the sacrament of marriage. And one of them is the sacrament of holy orders, which is being ordained to the priesthood or the diaconate. Correct. And and the the other one which applies to bride and groom is, have you ever taken a perpetual vow of chastity in a religious institute, which even for me, it's like, why did you word the question then? <laughs> it basically is asking if they have ever been part of a religious order or community, like a Dominican or right. a Benedictine. So for some of our People who are just beginning to investigate Catholicism translated, have you ever been a monk or a nun, in essence? Correct. And then, I mean, the questions continue in that. But again, it's as couples enter into the sacrament, we need to see that they're free to marry. And so there's probably about 10 or 12 questions that we ask them. So you went through that process and then you entered the seminary, Mundelein Seminary. In Chicago. Correct. Correct. And what was that seminary experience like for you uh, going through it a little bit later in life with the kind of life experiences that you had? Um, And I'm imagining you had classmates who were quite a bit younger coming straight out of college or whatnot. Uh, Yes, I was much older. But when I arrived at for like orientation before classes began and kind of, okay, you're at the seminary, this is what you can kind of expect. I just had this sense of peace that I don't know that I'm going to become a priest, but I'm where I need to be. Mm. The interesting thing is, is before and actually during that process of preparing to apply to be a seminarian, many people that I worked with said, you know, you'd be a really good priest. Right. And I remember sharing with some friends in Big Rapids when I shared that I was considering going to the seminary. I mean, this woman said, well, I just knew you'd be a good priest. Mm. So it's one of those experiences that you you can't see it for yourself, but you get that validation yeah, exactly. from outside yourself. So, Father, two questions, and they're related, but I think they're distinct. And the first question is this, again, for those out there who are considering Catholicism, some of them are not Catholic, but considering joining. And some of them are considering Catholicism because they are Catholic and are wondering whether they still want to remain Catholic. Why are you a Catholic? It goes back to when I began spiritual direction. I had that sense that, again, I was more aware that I'm a seeker or a searcher. I'm, I'm hungering for something. I'm looking for something. And I discovered, again, like I said earlier, I always came back to the Catholic Church. And again, so when I made that decision to go to this seminary and to prepare for priesthood, I made kind of like an act of the will is what the cat, the Catholics would call it, where it was a conscious decision on my part that if I'm going to continue to seek, I'm going to look for it in the Catholic Church. Uh, the other way that I would put it, I wanted to come home and stay home. Mm. I was, you know, I was going to focus my search 
within the Catholic Church. Now, a lot of times we don't understand. We feel drawn to something. The Lord moves us. The Spirit pushes us. Uh, the hound of heaven chases us towards something. Uh, God reels us in like a fish on a line. But why the Catholic Church? Uh, you, you didn't have to become Catholic. What about Catholicism? What about the Catholic faith? Drew not either drew you, but still draws you and holds you. Um, one of the main things that draws me and holds me is the seven sacraments. And tied to that is, you know, when we begin Mass, we talk about we're going to celebrate the sacred mysteries. Mm. You know, as a person who reads, I like the genre of mysteries, you know, like Agatha Christie or right. the different things and that. And so trying to figure things out. And so, again, it's coming to understand more fully the infinite depth of the mysteries that we have in the Catholic faith. Mm. You know, because I continue to grow and to learn. Mm -hmm. And I remember at some point when I was in, it was, I was getting ready to graduate from the seminary, which was a graduate school. And Father Gus, who we'd started out with, said, please tell me that you will never, you will not, re, um, you will continue to read, that you will continue to explore, that you will continue to grow in your faith. You know, so it's kind of like I've jumped through this hoop, I'm done. I've, I've punched my ticket, now I can be a priest. Right. And so, again, it was exploring and coming to understand myself of, Having had spent 22 years in the military, I can be very black and white, and I have to see gray. I have to be able to wrestle with the mysteries, what, wrestle with, ironically, what I tell people, I said, I'm not sure who came up with it, but when you graduate from the seminary, you get a master's in divinity. Mm -hmm. And I say... That doesn't make sense to me. How do you master an infinite God? Right. You know, Father, it's, it's interesting because when I talk to some people who've converted to Catholicism, especially from, well, from just secularism or someone who was a, a Protestant, one of the th things that some people say, and there's no right answer because everybody's reasons are their reasons, right? So there's no right reasons or wrong reasons. But some people talk about how especially some Protestants, are attracted to the Catholic Church because of the certainty that the sacraments bring. The sacraments are these anchors, these foundations, these, and they've, they felt like so much in life or maybe so much of, of the theology or the practice of their, the Protestant world that they came out of was loosey-goosey and very liquid and that the Catholic Church offers these firm and confident sacraments. I think it's interesting the way that you express it, that it is the mystery of the sacraments that you find. So, you know, I know I've got some other interviews that I've done uh, that'll be coming up in forthcoming episodes where others, other converts cited the certainty, the concreteness of the sacraments. That's, that's sort of how they saw it or what attracted them. And I just think it's fascinating that you talk about the mystery of those. Well, and, and the way that I kind of embrace or encounter that mystery 
And I didn't realize this until after I was a priest and had been ordained, but recognizing that we encounter God in the sacraments. And so, for example, I love all the sacraments, but when it comes to the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, one day one of those light bulbs went off and I looked back in my childhood and we would have communion services. And I knew what we, and I know what we do as Catholics, but I suddenly noticed the, dis, the difference. The minister would use some of the same scriptures that we hear in the Eucharistic prayers, but we didn't come forward and receive it and have that intimate encounter with Jesus. We had these nice silver bowls with the bread in little cubes. They would get passed around. He would say some words and then we would receive it. And then the little then the cups little, of the grape little, juice. You know, which fascinated. How do you make these cute little cubes? And how do you get this grape juice in the little cup? You know, when I went, got my master divinity degree and uh, became a Protestant pastor, they taught us how to fill the little grape juice cups. It's a, it's a mystery. You have to go to seminary to learn. I, if I... If I disclosed the secret, uh, then I'm, then that would, you know, but there is a way it's, it's like you basically have a giant eyedropper and you fill them with a giant eyedropper, but yeah, the pass around the tray with the little cups. And then there was a, a little hole in the, in the pew there, uh, next to where the hymnal goes and you stick the little cup when you're done in there. That's exactly what we had in the congregational church. So I'm just, I find this fascinating. I'm sure our listeners do too taking that image of sort of Protestant communion with the Catholic sacrament of the Eucharist, maybe unpack a little bit the depth of the mystery of that, what that meant to you or means to you. Well, what dawned on me all of a sudden was the distinction was, is at mass, the priest calls down the Holy Spirit to change the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ. And I realized the minister didn't do that during those, those services when I was growing up. You know, so I've since come to understand that it was kind of a memor- memorial. Yeah, the remembrance table. Correct. In fact, that's why, you know, coming out of a, uh, a Calvinist denomination and, and Calvinist seminary, we called it the table of remembrance. And you'll look in at the center of the stage or the platform will be the pulpit. Off to one side will be a table and it'll always say on the front of the table, it's a table, not an altar. It will say remember because it's the table of remembrance, not the altar of sacrifice. Well, and the only time we knew that that was happening is when you came into church and there was that table. You know, the other distinction is, as far as I know, it was a table where the altar of sacrifice, it's actually consecrated. The bishop anoints it with sacred chrism. So it's consecrated for the specific purpose of offering the Eucharist and receiving, you know, the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Father, 
uh, we're at time for this episode. What I'd like to do is have you carry you over into the next episode and have you talk a little bit more about the sacraments and your experience as a, as a priest administering to those to people and how they affect people and maybe how they draw people towards the Catholic Church or maybe in some cases push them away. So will you join us next time? Yes, I will. Thank you so much, Father Michael Burt. Join us next time as Father Michael Burt will talk a little bit about what he's learned in the priesthood about the ways that the church can encourage evangelization and maybe sometimes inadvertently discourages it. Thank you for joining us. Well, our time is winding down, but the way we're going to end every episode is by learning one of the classic traditional Catholic prayers. Now, my hope is for those of you who are considering Catholicism for the first time, learning these prayers will help draw you into it. And for those of you who have become perhaps a little distant in your faith, learning and incorporating these classic traditional Catholic prayers into your daily routines will help you to draw closer to God and to go higher up and deeper in to your Catholic faith. Lord, teach us to pray the prayers of the church with all the saints. One of the most common complaints from Protestants against Catholics, and I did this when I was a Protestant, is that Catholic prayers are rote formulas, vain repetition, instead of spontaneous and original and sort of made up as you go along. For so many evangelicals, it feels insincere or inauthentic to have memorized formulaic prayers. But this most fundamental of prayers is also the most biblical of all Christian prayers. It comes from Jesus himself. In fact, it's how he instructed us to pray. One day, Jesus' disciples came to him and said that John the Baptist was teaching his disciples how to pray. And would Jesus teach them how to pray? And Jesus gave them this prayer, which Protestants call the Lord's Prayer, but Catholics call the Our Father, because the names of Catholic prayers are usually the first one or two words of the prayer. Bear in mind that when we pray this prayer, we are praying the words of Christ directly, the words of Scripture, the formula and structure of how our Lord instructed us to approach God. And as to it being vain repetition, well, it's only vain if you don't mean it. The Our Father Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.
Thank you for listening. Considering Catholicism is produced by One Whirling Adventure, a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a simple mission to excite and educate people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. We depend completely on your generous donations. Learn more and consider supporting our ministry by visiting oneworlingadventure.org.